All right. Hey, Christ community. So glad you are here. Um, we're excited about all that God is doing in people's lives in and through uh, this church family. Christ community is a place where you can come to embrace the gospel, experience the spirit, and engage in mission. You know, one of the ways, one of the core ways that happens around here is through our e-groups. E-groups are smaller groups of people, some men's groups, some women's groups, some couples groups who are growing together in the gospel and the spirit and, and mission. And God is doing some really, really cool things through our e-groups. One of them has to do with the area of poverty, which is one of the nine initiatives in our For the City and Beyond vision. We now have seven e-groups that are involved in picking up leftover food from UNC cafeterias, food that otherwise would be thrown away, and taking it to Zoe's, where it is distributed to 15 under-resourced families from Maplewood Elementary School. Nearly 100% of the children at Maplewood qualify for free or reduced lunch. So as our team, just the other day, as our team met with the assistant principal the other day, just to talk about this program, she was in tears. I mean, she was in tears, so grateful for this ministry to these families. So way to go, Christ community. Good job. This is really what the For the City and Beyond vision is all about. We are changing people's stories, and we're going to continue to hear about people's lives being changed. If you're interested in finding out more about For the City and Beyond, you can pick up a packet of information in the lobby <clears throat> And for those of you who are participating in this jump start, this big give weekend, thank you. There's still time to give. You can give before the end of the, the weekend. If you're interested in being a part of an e-group, um, you can go to our website and find out more information there, or you can talk to someone about that in the, in the next area. Well, today we are, we are starting a new teaching series entitled Holy Freedom. For the next few weeks, we're going to be talking very practically about how we can break free from the habits and the behaviors that are negative negatively impacting our lives and our relationships. Maybe it's our temper that seems to explode at the worst possible moment, leaving damaged relationships all around us. Maybe it's a secret addiction to pornography that is pulling us further into secrecy and shame. Perhaps it's a growing tendency to exaggerate the truth or to gossip about other people or to use food or video games as a way to numb the pain that we feel. And in our more honest moments, we know these things are robbing us of joy. We know we don't want to continue down this path. We make promises to do better, but soon we find ourselves back in the rut. I mean, it's frustrating. Is there any hope for real change? Well, the good news is that God has given us a pathway to break free from these habits, these behaviors, these things that are gaining more and more control in our lives. The, the Bible shows us how we can walk in freedom, which brings us back to the title of this series, Holy Freedom. Now, I realize those two words are not words that we typically think of together. In fact, sometimes we view them as almost being opposite, you know, an oxymoron, right? Sort of like jumbo shrimp or virtual reality or airline food or whatever, right? Holy Freedom. These two words don't seem to fit. The word holy brings to mind certain behaviors that we're to avoid. The, you know, the don'ts of life. Don't do this and certainly don't do that, right? And the word freedom brings to mind an unrestricted life to do whatever we want to do. Do that and do lots of that. You know, do whatever you feel like doing. So how do these two words fit together? That's a really important question. 
Because as long as we view these two words as being separate, we will not experience either one. We will not experience either one of them. You see, true holiness brings freedom. And true freedom is found in holiness. Now, I realize that most of us here probably don't believe what I just said. So I have some work to do. Um, I realize that. The, pro- the fundamental problem is that we often have a, an inaccurate definition of both of these words. First, the word freedom. We typically define freedom as being able to do whatever we want to do, right? But, but that's not necessarily freedom. For example, Warren Sapp was a great football player, right? Made $84 million. He had all the money anyone could want. Freedom to do whatever he wanted to do whenever he wanted to do it. And he did. Today, he has four children with three different, different women, resulting in child support payments of $34,000 a month. He had to file. He actually had to file for bankruptcy. So is that freedom? He had the ability to do whatever he wanted to do. But that freedom has led him into a place of significant restriction and and despair. Now, I know that's a pretty over-the-top example, but it does illustrate a reality that all of us face. The freedom to do whatever we want to do rarely results in true freedom. In fact, let me suggest a different definition of freedom, one that comes from the Bible. Because we are created beings, true freedom is found when we align our lives with our creator's desires for us. Which brings us to this word holy. Holy freedom. Let's be honest. This word holy makes us uncomfortable. It intimidates us. It feels so restrictive, so unattainable, so undesirable. I mean, what do you think of when you envision someone being holy? It's someone who doesn't smile much, right? Doesn't have much, much, you know, they don't have any fun. They're pretty uptight. You know, their life is filled with lots of don'ts and things to avoid. You know, you certainly wouldn't want to hang out with them. I mean, that's often our idea of holy. But is that accurate? Is that accurate? What we actually do know of one person who lived a completely holy life. Jesus. Jesus shows us what holiness looks like. I mean, think about that. Was he uptight? No, I mean, he was as relaxed and chill as they come, right? Was he focused on do's and don'ts? No, heck no. I mean, he continually offended the religious leaders because he kept breaking the Sabbath rules and then, and, and then confronting them about it. <clears throat> Did he avoid socializing? No, I mean, his first miracle was to make sure that a wedding didn't run out of wine, I mean, this is a guy who enjoyed a good party, who knew how to laugh. Jesus loved to hold children. He took time to pray for people in need. He enjoyed hanging out with people of questionable character, and they loved hanging out with him. That's what holiness looks like. So in light of that definition of holiness, would any of us say we didn't want to be holy? Would any of us here say we didn't want to be holy? Who wouldn't want to be a person like Jesus? See, we need a major makeover of our definition of holiness. Holiness is an incredible way to live. 
In fact, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, this Hebrew scholar who after doing extensive research on the Hebrew word for holy, he came to the conclusion that the essence of the word holy is to be whole. Holiness is to be whole. It is to be set apart for God's purposes. It is to be aligned with who you and I were created to be. Thus the phrase holy freedom. When our lives are fully aligned with God's heart and with God's purposes for us, we experience the joy of true freedom. That's what God offers us. So how do we walk in holiness? How do we experience this freedom in this life that God desires for us? That's a, that's a critically important question. And it's a question that many people, including many Christians, have been answering incorrectly for centuries. <clears throat> now, how do we know that? Because we have in our possession a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a group of Christians who were trying to pursue holiness the wrong way. They were being fed bad information by some well-meaning but misguided people. And so Paul writes them this letter to get them on the right path. You see, there is a human way to pursue holiness and there is a God way to pursue holiness. The human way feels right to us, but it doesn't work. And there are a lot of us on that path. So what I want us to do today is to learn how to identify this human pathway that, that, and if we're on it, to get off of it. And eventually, I want us to, or secondly, I want us to see today the simple and yet foundational key to holiness that changes everything. Changes everything. So if you have your Bible or iPad or smartphone and you want to turn there, you can turn to Colossians, the book of Colossians, chapter 2. In this passage, Paul clearly identifies for us this human and ineffective way to pursue holiness. And again, it's a way that feels right and it sounds right, but it doesn't work. So here's how I would summarize this approach to holiness. Try really hard, okay? Try really hard. Here's the way you're supposed to live. Here are the things you should and shouldn't do. So try really hard to live that way. Okay, so in this newly established church in the city of Colossae, there was a group of people who were espousing this particular view of holiness, this trying harder view. Look with me beginning in verse 16 of Colossians 2. Um, actually, if you have your scripture there, you look with me. Otherwise, just listen, where we see Paul addressing this. This is an important passage. So let me, let me read this. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions about, uh, by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. 
Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body. But they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. This is God's word. Okay, so Paul is warning the church that, that about this trying harder approach to holiness. In this approach, we see an emphasis on external behavior, right? He initially mentions various religious observances, certain religious days that were deemed to be important. And if you didn't follow the rituals just right or observe the day just right, you were deemed as being, you were judged as being less spiritual. Okay, so then in addition to these rituals, Paul also mentions certain rules, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. See, apparently this group, like the religious leaders in Jesus' day, were emphasizing all these extra man-made regulations to follow in order to truly be holy. Don't do this and don't do that. Look again with verse 23 with me because this verse summarizes the problem here. Verse 23, such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their, heart, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. See, these regulations, he says, have an appearance of wisdom. In other words, this seems like the right path. These people are emphasizing discipline, right? Treating their bodies harshly, and being disciplined, and emphasizing rituals and, and all these things. They, 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 these things that seem so spiritual and they seem so humble. These people must be so close to God, right? So humble. But Paul says, it's a false humility, that's what he says here. It's a false humility. And here's why. Because it's placing our confidence in ourselves, in, in, in what we can do, in our behavior. You can do this, right? It, it's this trying hard or try, it's a try really hard approach to holiness. And it sounds right. It makes sense. This is human nature. We believe that, that, that we have the ability, if we just would work hard enough, if we would just try hard enough, you know, if, if, if we just try hard enough here, we can experience real change in our lives. We can overcome our negative habits and all these things. We can do it. But there's a problem. Paul highlights here. There's a problem with this approach to wholeness. As Paul says here, these things have the appearance of wisdom. They look really spiritual. They look like they make sense, right? But here's the problem. But they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. In other words, they don't work. <laughs> they, they don't work. They may sound good, but they don't really help us resist sexual temptation is the example he uses. It doesn't really, they don't really help us in overcoming these negative habits. So all of this emphasis on trying harder doesn't work. And here's what concerns me. So many sincere people are pursuing holiness this way. A lot of people filling churches, church services, they're pursuing holiness this, this way. And here's the problem. Many people, when, when it doesn't work, when it doesn't really help them overcome these things, when it doesn't work, they give up. Not just on trying to walk in holiness. They give up on the whole thing. They, they, they say to themselves, look, I tried religion. It didn't work. It didn't help me. It didn't help me overcome my struggle with lust or with anger or, 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 or deception or my eating disorder or whatever. It just made me feel more guilty. So I'm, I'm giving up on this Christianity stuff. 
I remember going to a website, an atheist kind of web, former Christians that are now atheists kind of website, and just reading the reasons. And it was, it was this, it was this kind of stuff. I'm just, I got tired of the guilt. It just didn't work. I totally understand that. I totally understand those feelings. The problem is, see, here's the problem. What they're giving up on is not Christianity at all. What they're giving up on, they ought to give up on. They're giving up on a trying harder approach to holy living that doesn't work anyway. See, and here's the real reason why this, this approach doesn't work. It's based on rules, regulations, and rituals. And it misses the most important reality of all. Relationship. Relationship. <clears throat> Look how Paul describes those who are living this trying harder pathway to holiness. Verse 19. He says, they have lost connection. People who are trying to live, get holy this way. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. See, who is the head? It's Jesus. It's clear. You can read the rest of the context here. It is clear from the context of this passage. The head is Jesus. Paul is saying that when our pursuit of wholeness, holiness, wholeness, is focused on externals, on sin management, and on right behavior, and, and on rules, when that's our focus, we actually, we actually get unplugged from the true power source. What he says, we disconnect from that which can actually bring about true wholeness in our lives. The person of Jesus. This is so important. So important. A lot of people, maybe, maybe some of you here, <clears throat> think that Christianity is just another religion. Like Islam or Buddhism or you just name it. It's just another one of just hundreds of religions or whatever, which offer, basically offer a list of things to do. The, the things are different. The rules are different, but they just all the same. They just offer a list of things to do, areas of our lives that we kind of need to clean up. And, and if we clean those things up, you know, we then can have a relationship with God. But, but you see, that's the human pathway that we've been talking about. All those things, they're the, they're the human path, you, pathway we've been talking about. Try harder to be holy, do these things. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. It doesn't really help us. In, in, in giving up destructive behaviors and, and living in wholeness because, again, it's ultimately rooted in our own strength. We're putting our confidence in our own ability, our own strength. So what Paul is describing here is authentic Christianity. What Paul is describing here is a new pathway, one in which we place our confidence not in our own ability or our own goodness, but rather we place our confidence in the person of Jesus, in the person of Jesus, being united with him in this life-giving, transforming relationship. It is this relationship that enables us to walk in wholeness. It is this relationship that enables us to be holy like Jesus. Okay, so what does that look like? Well, in chapter three of this letter, Paul describes for us a very different pathway to wholeness, a Jesus-centered pathway, which we're going to be unpacking over the next four weeks. But there is a critically important foundation that he articulates in verse one. It really is the key to experiencing wholeness, to experiencing holiness. 
Everything else builds on this. It is, it's foundational. So let's look at verse one. In fact, why don't you read this out loud with me? <clears throat> Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Now notice the shift, huge shift. This is not about external behavior. This is not about trying hard. It is about something completely different. It is all about the heart. It's all about the heart. See, the foundational key to us walking in and experiencing God's pathway to wholeness is to set your heart upon Jesus. To set your heart upon Jesus. What the Pharisees and the people in the church in Colossae and so many of us fail to realize is that ultimately holiness is not an issue of behavior. I'm, I'm going to say that again because we probably don't believe it. Okay, I want to say it again. It's really, really important. Holiness is not ultimately an issue of behavior, of focusing on do's and don'ts. No, holiness is an issue of the heart. Behaviors flow out of the heart. So if we get this heart thing right, holiness becomes a natural result. The joy and the peace and the freedom of being whole become a natural result from getting our heart right. And if we don't get this heart thing right, holiness becomes this wearying, frustrating, shame-filled, difficult pursuit that a lot of people just give up on. Again, the difference between these two paths is the heart. Paul says, set your hearts on things above. Another translation says, earnestly seek things above. What he's talking about here is desire. He's talking about desire. An earnest desire or affection for Jesus. See, this is an internal experience of holiness. This is an internal experience of holiness rather than external folk, uh, an external um, experience of holiness. Focus on externals and all that. And the difference between these two things, internal, external, the difference between these two things is huge. And here is why. What we set our heart upon significantly influences our behavior. What we set our affections upon significantly influences the choices we make. So for example, when Jesus talked about the importance of generosity, he didn't say, just do it, give more. No, no, no. Well, he said, he said some of that. And then at the end, he said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus knew that if our heart is set upon our money and our possessions, we won't be generous. We won't be. No matter how many generosity sermons we hear or how many generosity Bible verses we memorize, it doesn't matter. If our heart is set upon our money and our possessions, we will not be generous. That was his point. Jesus, Jesus knew that the issue is, is a heart issue. It's a heart issue about our, it's related to our money, but it's, it's related to anything else in our lives. <laughs> whatever we set our hearts upon, or whatever we set our affections upon, those things will dictate the course of our lives. They will significantly 
impact the choices that we make. Another example, another passage, Jesus said, Jesus was always going after the heart, right? Here's another passage. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. See, our words, here he's saying, our words come out of our hearts, which means, for instance, if we struggle with lying or exaggerating the truth, or we struggle with saying critical things about other people or whatever, we can tell ourselves to stop doing that. But nothing will change until something changes in our heart. That's what he's saying. We can tell ourselves, stop doing that. I'll make promises. I'll never do that again. It won't change until something changes in our hearts. So it's no wonder that the Apostle Paul, when articulating the pathway to a holy, whole life, he starts with this foundation. Set your heart on Jesus. Set your affection upon him. That changes everything. It changes everything. Years ago, there was a Scottish preacher named Thomas Chalmers who once preached a sermon entitled The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. Now, in this, in this message, Chalmers, basically the point here, Chalmers pointed out that the only way to truly lessen the pull of worldly desires in our lives is to have our hearts filled with a greater desire. An affection that is more captivating than any other desire. So for the first 25 years of my life, I did not like staying up late. I hated late night conversations. You know, I just would fall. I just wanted to go to bed. Just hated late night conversations. And then I met my wife-to-be, Raylene. And I couldn't spend enough time with her, right? During our season of engagement, during our season of dating and engagement, I loved late night conversations. So what happened my desire for sleep didn't go away, but it was overruled by a greater desire to get to know this girl. See, this applies to so many areas of our life. We may love fast food and think we could never give it up, but when we wake up one day in the ER and we're told that we almost died because of a blocked artery, suddenly we have the strength to drive right past the McDonald's drive through Why? Because our desire to live overruled our desire for a Big Mac. See, often in our struggle to choose God's way in some area of our life, whatever it happens to be, in those areas we struggle, you know, in our struggle to choose God's way, so often we get so focused on the behavior we're trying to avoid. Stop doing that. Don't do that. That we lose sight of the heart issue. In fact, let me, sh let me share a, a very powerful question to ask ourselves in order to get to the heart, to help us get to the heart issue as it relates to a negative behavior in our lives. Think of a negative behavior, a sin or whatever we struggle with. Here's a question that can help us get to the heart of the issue. Here's the question. What do I really want? What do I really want? What am I truly longing for? See, when, when I drink too much, when I go on the web late at night and look at porn, when I overeat, what do I really want? See, here, here's what is often the answer to that question. One of the answers, but I think it's often kind of related to this. If we're honest enough to admit it, 
What do we want in those moments? Well, what is our heart set upon in those moments? Relief, right? Relief. We just want a few minutes of relief from the emotional pain we feel. We just want to numb our feelings of loneliness, our feelings of inadequacy, our feelings of rejection or sadness or stress or whatever. I mean, isn't that that often why we so often choose these habits and these negative behaviors, even when we know they're not good for us? The reason we choose them is because we want something from them. We want them to give us something. And we think they will. And usually that something is relief. But here's the problem. These, these behaviors, they can't give us what we ultimately want. They, they numb the pain temporarily, but they still leave us empty. And more than that, actually, they often leave us feeling ashamed and dirty, which just drives us back to the behavior again. Because, ah, oh, feel horrible, I gave in again. And we, you know, then we go back to the behavior again, just in this endless cycle. Again, we may think this is about behavior, but it's not. It is not about behavior. It's about the heart. What is it we really want? What is our heart set upon? See, if we want relief, our world offers us a never-ending stream of options for temporary relief. But if we want wholeness, if we want joy and life, we need to choose a different pathway. We need to choose a different pathway. In other words, we need to set our heart upon something way more fulfilling and satisfying than just trying to find relief. We need to set our heart upon Jesus. To set our heart upon Jesus. And here's the irony. When we do that, when we set our heart upon Jesus, we actually find relief from our pain and our shame and our loneliness and our rejection. And we find a whole lot more. (laughs) We find a whole lot more. I mean, listen to how Paul describes this earlier in Colossians 2. He says this, this is earlier in chapter two. When when you were dead in your sins, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. See, Jesus took all our sin. He took all our shame. He took all the pain of rejection and loneliness. All of it. He took all of that upon himself when he died on the cross. And, 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 and what do we get in exchange? He took that for us. What do we get in exchange? His life, his fullness, his love. See, this is our savior. This is who Jesus is. Not only did he live this amazingly holy life, which which we talked about earlier, this life that was so joy-filled and attractive to people. So not only did he live that life, he then died in our place on the cross so that we could experience that kind of life as well. So how do we experience this kind of life? It's not about trying to change our behavior. It's not about external rules or religion. Nope. It's about our hearts. Setting our hearts 
upon Jesus. When we fix our hearts on this amazing Savior, when we set our affection upon him, our deepest longing is no longer a longing for relief. It's a longing for love. It's a longing for wholeness. And folks, Jesus is the only one who can give us that. Nothing else on earth offers us the fullness of what Jesus offers us. Nothing else on earth. Jack Higgins is, is um, one of the most prolific authors in our day and age. He's in his 80s now. He's written hundreds of books, sold millions and millions of copies of books, these thriller fiction books. In a radio interview, a reporter said to him, Mr. Higgins, you are very successful. What do you wish you would have been told when you were 18 years old? What do you wish you would have been told when you were 18? He, he got quiet, was quiet for a while. And then he said this, I wish, I wish someone would have told me that when you get to the top, it's empty. There is nothing there. And the reporter said, really? And Higgins responded, yes, there is nothing there. See, what is your heart set upon? Achieving financial security or business success? Is your heart set upon your appearance or the applause or acceptance of other people? Or, or perhaps your heart is set upon finding relief, just numbing the painful feelings of rejection or insecurity or loneliness. When our heart is set upon any of those things, we will find ourselves on an endless pursuit of things that will not satisfy, that will not fulfill, that will not bring joy. Things that will ultimately rob us of true freedom and true wholeness. But when our hearts are set upon Jesus, when our affections are set upon this incredible, loving Savior who gave his life for us and who meets us in our pain and our brokenness, it changes everything. We can experience in that moment the joy, the fulfillment that our hearts most deeply long for. I mean, it really goes back to the question I asked a moment ago. What do you really want? And how many of us have the courage to really ask that question? When we look at our negative behaviors, are we willing to stop and just ask, what am I wanting in this moment? What do I really want? What am I looking for? What do I desire? Is it acceptance? Is it to numb the pain? What do I really want? If, if it's anything, if our heart is set upon anything other than Jesus, it will leave you and me empty and longing for true freedom. Again, it's not the longing for acceptance that's wrong. I think it was G.K. Chesterton who said that that when a man is at the door of a brothel, knocking on the door, what he's ultimately looking for is God. I mean, and that, that's absolutely true, whether it's pornography or whatever it is. What we're ultimately longing for 
is God. Often we try these other things to numb the pain, but our ultimate longing is, is God. It's the love that's found in him. So when we run after these things that leave, they leave us empty and they leave our soul longing for true freedom. So set your heart upon Jesus. And I'm speaking to myself as well. Set your heart on Jesus and experience the love and the freedom that you long for. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for this incredible good news, incredibly good news that holiness is a really good thing. And we've misunderstood holiness, we've misunderstood freedom. And we've thought of, you know, of holiness as being a negative thing. It's not. It is, it is a, a pathway to being whole, to living the life you intend for us to live. So thank you for this incredible news. And I, I want to give a couple of invitations here, just a couple of responses, invitations. One, there may be some of you here, and, and you realize that you have been on an external pathway to God. In other words, your approach to God, you've thought, hey, here, I can, you know, the way to get to God is just to try really hard. I'm going to go to church when I can and follow the golden rule. And, you know, if I do these things and hopefully God will accept me, my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, God will accept me. It doesn't work that way. That's an, you're trusting in your own effort. That will never work. The Bible says, stop trusting in your own effort. Admit you, you can't get there and trust in Jesus' effort, his work on the cross. Place your confidence in him, not in yourself. And there's some of you here, and you've been pursuing a religious external pathway, and Jesus is inviting you to an internal transformation where he comes to live in you. He forgives your sin, and he comes to live in you forever. So if that's you, I want to lead you in a prayer right now. You can, I'm going to lead you in a prayer where you can enter into this relationship with Jesus through faith. Just pray with me in the silence of your heart. Dear God, I acknowledge that you are holy and I'm not. And I acknowledge that my sin, it separates me from you, but I don't want to be separated from you. And I realize there is nothing I could do to get to you, no matter how hard I try, which is why you came to me. You sent your son, Jesus, to live a holy life. And then Jesus, you died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. You paid the penalty I should have paid. You took the judgment I deserved. I'm so grateful and I, I choose right now to place my confidence, my trust, my faith in you, not in my effort. I repent of my attempts to earn my way through my own good effort, through my own earnest effort. I repent of all of that. I repent of my sin. I, I, I bring to you all my doubts and fears and failures and insecurities. All of those things, I place them on your shoulders. And I now receive your life. Come live in me through the presence of your spirit. Forgive me, cleanse me, live in me, and change me through the power of your love. 
God, I thank you for anyone who prayed that prayer. Help them grow in this relationship with you. And if you, if you prayed that prayer here, I encourage you, check out our Alpha course. starts this week. Find out more information on our website. Great way just to grow in this relationship. So the rest of us here, we, we, know, we know Jesus. Let's just think of an area, a negative, an area of negative behavior in our lives. And do we, do we have, are we willing to ask this question, what do I really want? When I'm doing that, whatever it is, what am I really longing for? And Lord, we acknowledge for some of us here, it, it's relief. These things are providing relief for us, temporary relief from the pain that we feel, the loneliness, the rejection, whatever. And rather than setting our heart upon you and looking to you for those things, we run to these other things. We acknowledge that, Lord. Others of us here, we acknowledge our heart is set upon riches or set upon our own appearance or whatever, Lord. We just, we realize our hearts can be set on so many other things and that these things don't satisfy. What we want is for our hearts to be set upon you. So Holy Spirit, would you help make that happen? We want to long for wholeness and holiness. We want to fix our affection. We want to set our heart upon you, Jesus, and the amazing Savior you are. So God, help us get this right, that it's not about behavior. It's not ultimately about externals. It's about our hearts. Help us never forget this. This is the root issue when we're wrestling with a negative behavior. We so often focus on, don't do that, don't do that, I need to stop doing that. Lord, we so often focus on that rather than focusing on our hearts. What are we setting our affections upon, our hearts upon? We want it to be you. So we pray for that. We pray for that. Stir it up, Holy Spirit. Stir up this affection for Jesus so that every other desire and longing pales in comparison and takes a backseat to this one desire, this one longing. So do that in us. Do that in us even now as we respond to you with worship. In these, in these minutes, these next few minutes as we sing praise to you, set our hearts free to focus on you. We set our hearts on you, Jesus. So why don't, we, why don't we stand as the worship team leads us in this time of response, which is, I think, the most important time of the service. It's not the message, it's the response. And let's set our heart upon this Jesus, we love you, Lord.